In today's episode, we talk about what the Bible has to do with the show The Office, how to stop looking at the Bible as boring, and the power of meditating on Scripture as we pray. All of that on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Wade Joy, and I'm your host. And I think you're going to really love the episode today because I get to talk with Landon McDonald. He's the teaching pastor at Mission Community Church in Arizona. He's one of the professors at Theosu, which is an online seminary and just Bible training platform that everyone has access to. I highly encourage you to subscribe to that. He also posts incredible content on his YouTube channel and his Instagram. And all that will be in the show notes, but just know this. He's an amazing Bible teacher, and his passion for God's Word is contagious. And so not only are you going to just be inspired by today's episode, but you are going to get some very tangible, actionable tools that'll help you engage with God's Word on a daily basis. So I think this is going to be one of the most practical and helpful episodes for you to help the Bible come alive in a new way, to open your heart in a fresh way to what God wants to say to you through it, and just to realize that you are capable of so much more than you think you are through the power of the Holy Spirit in terms of understanding the overall story that the Bible is telling for the glory of God. And so I can't wait for you just to have something that's going to just inspire you to dig into God's Word in a new way this week. But before we get to that interview, I did want to share this one review that I got recently from a listener named Alex. Alex posted this on the Apple Podcast platform, and Alex says, This podcast is what I need for this season of life. I'm glad Wade worked through his own reservations and doubts and actually launched it. And so, first of all, thank you, Alex. I'm glad that this is a timely podcast for you, that it's encouraging for you in this season, and I pray that it'll continue to be that. And if you're wondering what Alex is talking about with me overcoming my reservations and doubts, well, I actually talk about that in episode eight of the podcast called Stop Pre-Rejecting Yourself. And I think for anyone who feels like God is leading them to take a step of faith, maybe he's put a dream in your heart, maybe he has just given you the step of obedience that you know you're supposed to take, but you keep talking yourself out of it. Well, I think this episode will be encouraging to you. So go listen to Stop Pre-Rejecting Yourself after you listen to today's episode. And if you want to leave a review, I would really appreciate that. In fact, I'd like to ask everyone, if you're listening, just take a few seconds to go to Apple or to Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, and leave a review. It'll really help just increase the awareness of the podcast. I think it helps the algorithm in some way from what I've been told. So I just want to encourage you to go and do that. It would mean a lot for me. And while you're there, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe there as well. All right. Thanks for being with us today. Now let's join my interview with Landon McDonald. Well, Landon, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invite and love all of your content and what you're doing out there. Oh, thank you, man. Um, you and I were texting just the other day 
about our love for different fandoms. And particularly, I was telling you how much I enjoyed and also was a bit shamed by the the video you did on the office and the Bible and how like comparing our level of knowledge between both well-known and more obscure verses in the Bible versus well-known and more obscure pieces of office trivia. Can you talk about, number one, that and what you learned from it and what you hope people take away from it? Because I thought it was fascinating. Thank you so much. Yeah, I am really in, I'm, I'm a big fan of a lot of things. I really like liking things and I like enjoying life and authors and music and movies. I'm like the biggest Radiohead and Kubrick fan in the world. And I know that bothers some Christians. I sincerely <laughs> don't, I don't mean it to bother you. That's just my conviction about life. And I, I, I am a massive fan of the Bible. And I hardly ever heard people talk about the Bible in terms of fandom. It was in terms of belief, which is significantly more important. And the Bible is a book to believe. But then I also just really like it a lot. I enjoy it. I think it's cool. I think it's interesting. I think the obtuse parts make it more interesting, just like the obtuse parts in 2001 A Space Odyssey make it more interesting. Mm -hmm. And when people don't understand that, I feel like they miss out on some of the enjoyment level. And so I started thinking about how little people knew about the Bible and how I could show people that they do have more than the intellectual capacity to Mm. understand it and understand its complicated parts. And so then I got fixated on Leviticus and different parts of the Old Testament. And then I got fixated on the genealogies and these parts. And I'm like, okay, so all scripture is given by inspiration of God. How can I help people understand what this is? And people are in Devo mindset when they open the Bible and they're in what does this say about me mindset, which is not Mm -hmm. the best mindset. And so then they get to Leviticus and they're like, this is bad. And I'm like, well, no, like you wouldn't open up a cookbook and and read it like a novel and be like, this is bad. You'd Mm -hmm. be like, okay, what is this? And how's it supposed to be used? You wouldn't like read your mom's birth certificate and be like, this is bad you'd be like, no, no, this is an informational tool. And so then I started thinking, okay, so like, what do people know well? They know the office well, and I'm a big office fan. And so I started thinking, okay, so like, if I could show people that their brains are capable of knowing like very random info, then I could show them not, hey, read the Bible more because you're a bad person. I I hate stuff like that. I think that's stupid, Mm -hmm. but maybe I could show them you are so smart. You have read 20 Twilight books or whatever. And I think those are stupid, but you know information, complicated, dense, generational information. So you could do this. You really could. That was mm-hmm. the that was the whole goal. And then uh, I just made a I made a couple of videos about it. Thank you so much for uh, en- enjoying it. I, I that's it's really kind. Well, I mean, I had a really great conversation with my kids about it too, because they are massive. They get it from me, honestly, but they're they're massive Star Wars fans, Marvel fans. Mm-hmm. They have their own Star Wars YouTube channel and they're into like writing fiction novels and everything. And so they love trivia about all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a really good jumping off point to talk about, okay, yeah, your mind does have the capacity to know all of that. So how much more can we like really dive into what the word of God says 
and actually let it come to life in the same way that these other things have come to life for us. That's right. Because like you said, I can tell you, I can go through episodes one through nine of Star Wars and give you the most meaningless trivia in the world. And so I just love the way you framed it, not as a way to shame people, but it really kind of inspired me in in a new way to like, okay, I'm going to dive into God's word with a fresh, more hopeful frame of mind that there's something for me and even the minute details of it. Yeah. And I think there is an expectation in fandom that doesn't exist in Christianity, which is too bad. Like you brought up Star Wars. If you went to a Star Wars convention, which I've been to the Star Wars convention in Chicago in 2019, it was very fun. And if you were walking around there and and someone said, what's your favorite episode? And you said, well, I haven't seen them all. They wouldn't make you feel bad. They would just be like, oh, dude, you got to see them all. They're great. Or mm-hmm. this one I don't like. Or you got to have this. And there is no such expectation in Christianity as it relates to our canon of content. And I think that that's a mistake. Like if someone's been a Christian for 10 or 15 years and they haven't read the whole Bible, what are you doing? Like how can you functionally yeah. say that you believe that God wrote this book if you haven't read all of it? And I don't mean that as guilt. I mean, like, dude, it's good. Join us. Yeah. Let's let's dig into it together. I think that idea has been very captivating to me. So what are some misunderstandings besides, you know, it's it's boring or it's too much detail? What are some misunderstandings that people have that keep them from taking that step to really try to 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 read through the whole Bible and see the whole story? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a, a mindset of I need to spend my time with Jesus right now so that I gain something personally that is mostly emotional, or I need to read the Bible to see what it says about me, which is, I think, really cool a lot of times. I think that's a lot of what's in the Psalms is like, wow, you can bring these emotions to God. I think that's beautiful. But if it's exclusively that, it's like a marriage that's exclusively about sex or a marriage that's exclusively about finances. Those are important parts, but no one would suggest that you can have a healthy relationship that's only one of those things. And so people get into that mindset. And if you have that mindset, of what use is the book of Joel? (laughs) It is of no use. Exactly. It has no purpose in that thing, but it has a purpose to God. And it had a purpose to God so that God wanted to put it in his book of books. And so why did he want to do that? because he wanted us to see information about our family tree. He wanted us to see in the prophets how people disobeyed the covenants and how disobedience leads to cursing, which is not a topic many Christians talk about because it's Mm -hmm. very difficult. But there are uh, several hundred passages about blessing and cursing in the Old Testament. And people are so correctly salvific with their Protestant understanding of theology, which is wonderful, beautiful, important, but it's not only that. Once you're saved, you can Mm -hmm. still live a life where you are being cursed. Ooh, that's a tough one. People don't like that. They don't like that at all. They're like, well, I have the blessing of heaven. Yeah, well, how about the blessing of life on earth, of abundant life of Christ by living his way? So I think that is the main thing that people miss. And then I think that people get into this mindset of like, just teach me the hard parts, I think maybe. And they get into this part where it's like talking about the size and scope of the tabernacle. And they've never had anyone say to them like, dude, there are parts of the Bible that are so symbolic intentionally of the future 
that it's so complicated, but it's not more complicated than other things that you like. So you're more than capable of understanding it. But the tabernacle is about the tabernacle, but it's also about the temple. And it's also about the temple in Ezekiel, which is the future temple of heaven. And yes, it is complicated. And I do feel like I love large churches. I, I have worked at them. They're wonderful. I believe in them. I, I praise God for them. But it is a temptation in a large church to oversimplify something that's complex, like a dad trying to teach a four-year-old about football. And I think that the expectation of understanding should be higher. And I think that kind of all of those things amalgamated into one. Just say it. Just say it. It's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. <laughs> yes, it's, it's complicated. But I also, as you were talking, I'm thinking through the fact, when you talked about the devotional aspect of it and how we, we go into the Bible looking for what it says about me. That's something that I have been challenged by a lot in my life. I talk about it a lot on this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's called Dreamers and Disciples because a lot of what we kind of circle around is how in our world and even in the church world, we make life about our dream. Mm -hmm. And if we love something, then it must be God's calling on our life. And I think some of that even goes back to a misunderstanding of what the Bible says about calling. We don't understand what it means to lay our life down. We don't like what it says about surrender. Yeah. And so can you can you go a little deeper into what's the value of the devotional approach? Because yes, we do want God to speak to us, but also we have to have this wider, more holistic view of what the whole narrative of the Bible is. So is there room for devotion in there? And then how do you mix the devotional with the study? Does that make sense, oh, what I'm getting at? It's such a great question. You're a good interviewer. You're good at framing questions. Do you do oh, you listen you. to um, Mark Maron, or do you like do you like him? I, I've I've listened to him some, but not a regular listener. He reminds me of you because he like frames questions so well, and I love I like being on podcasts because I like like talking for like endless amounts of time, and it's like the person's trapped into listening to you for a really long time, whether <laughs> they like it or not. These are really well-framed questions. I appreciate that. Whoever's listening to this podcast, this is a good podcast because of that factor. He didn't just write, say things about the Bible on paper. <laughs> well, thank you. The way is by knowing which, uh, which parts of the Bible are what. And so take it in like other frames of writing. So I have um, a variety of written material from my wife. We have... Uh, text message thread where we were just texting about Lil Yachty. So judge me if you want. <laughs> and we were, she sent me a bunch of information today. We have an informational text string. And then we also talk about what we're doing. Then we have a communication of verbal. And then we have emails that are just exclusively logistics. Mm -hmm. And then I have a fire safe in my closet with a lock on it, with love notes from her from all the way back to when we were dating. And so all of those pieces of information I engage with in a very different way. They're all important for a relationship and they all matter to me. And I need all of them for, for a healthy relationship that we have together. And the Bible contains information like that too. There is historical information that's very important to understand because God chose to build the world this way. And there is 
prophetic information that is very indicting, intense, and obtuse, and it's very important. And there is the Gospels, which are like the love notes. And it's just mm-hmm. like, man, I wish I could just read them forever. Like, I wish I was there. Like, it's just yeah. the most beautiful thing in the world. And and I just, I want to hear the rest of the parables from that Luke didn't record. Like, I want, I want that content. And then there is the epistles, which are very helpful, structural, pastoral ways. And so your question was, how do you know when to engage with it devotionally? And you just literally know which parts of the Bible are like that. So the parts of the Bible that are like that are Psalms and some of the prophets and the gospels. And those are the things that I engage like that. And then there's little pieces elsewhere that are like that. And it's really not that much information. One tool that I've given to people to help because there's so many different books, there's 66 books, is Mm -hmm. there's really just six sections. And the first section is God's law, and that's Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then God's people, that's Joshua through um, Esther, and then Mm -hmm. God's wisdom, that's the five books of wisdom, God's prophets, and then God's son, which are the gospels, and then God's church, which is Acts through Revelation, and then the whole Mm -hmm. thing is God's word. And I have a little tool with like a sentence for each of those. And uh, I think it's on my Instagram. If anybody wants it, it's, it's free. And that little piece can really help people because you know where you're at. You're not going to pick up yeah. your wife's love note looking for information about the bills. You probably have like a passwords folder in your house. That's important information, but you're not going to read it devotionally. I hope that didn't sound too like obvious. I really... I started going to the gym last year. I know that it doesn't look like I have ever been (laughs) because I mostly use it for mental health reasons. I see people from my church there. They're like, what muscle group are you exercising today? And I'm like, the non-depression of my brain. Um, (laughs) and, And I did not know how to use any of the things there and I needed people to teach me. And then I started recognizing that's the way people feel when they open their Bible. They feel like a person walking into the gym. They're like, I know how to do like bicep curls, and I don't know how to do anything else. And so I hope that what I was just saying didn't sound too obvious. I really have found that people don't have that information, and it just blesses my heart so much to be able to give it to them. Well, I actually really love those handles because if you go into God's law looking for something where you really need to be going into the prophets or Mm -hmm. wisdom, you'll be able to receive what you need when you go into it looking for the right thing. Yeah. And I think that that's a very helpful distinction. And even just the the communication between you and your wife, I thought that was a really helpful handle too. I was also trying to think if I have all the love notes between me and my wife from when we were dating. And I think you've, uh, if she listens to this, I'll be a bit in the doghouse. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so props to you on that. You know, one of the things that really helped me about, gosh, 2020 was now three years ago. So that's wow. kind of crazy. But the summer, of, it feels like an eternity. But the summer of 2020, I was in a really rough spot with anxiety because, you know, church was crazy as we were trying to figure everything out at at Elevation at the time. And then my youngest daughter has cystic fibrosis. Mm. And so we were really worried about her with COVID and she was at high risk. And and plus, I'd just been running for so long at church that I realized that I had stopped 
going to the Bible, looking for it to transform me. And I was just, I mean, I was falling into the rut that so many of us fall to in ministry, where I was just going to the Bible to teach something to other people. And I remember I was sitting out on my back porch praying one day, and I was just having one of those conversations with God saying, Lord, I know that there's abundant life in you. I felt it. I've taught it. But I haven't, I don't feel it right now. In fact, I feel very empty and drained. And I felt like the, the Holy Spirit in a very clear but convicting way said, you're not you don't have the healthy rhythms established and the disciplines established in your life for me to actually change you the way I want to change you. You're not creating the space for it. Yeah, wow. And I realized growing up in church for so long, my granddad was a pastor, my dad was a music minister, that somewhere along the way, I had conflated like reading the Bible every day and studying it to legalism. Yeah. And so I'd rant, I'd run away from legalism but in doing so, I'd run away from discipline. Yeah, And those two aren't the same thing. And I think we get those confused a lot of times and think that, oh, we don't have to do that because it's legalistic. Yeah, Well, you don't have to do it to earn God's favor or to earn God's love, but it's vital for us to grow and to be healthy, mature yeah. believers. And so that took me on a journey of just re-engaging the Bible in a new way over the last three years, mm-hmm. which I'm 47 years old now, and I feel like things have come alive to me in God's word in the last three years that feels so fresh and and new in a way that really has revived my soul. But also learning how to pray through the Bible Mm -hmm. has been an experience for me, praying through the Psalms. Yeah. And you have some teaching that you've just done at your church about how you can't separate, you know, Bible from prayer. They're meant to be integrated. Mm -hmm. Can you talk through how to meditate on God's word and how to take something that it that might be more devotional in nature? And how do you really center your heart around the truth that's found in that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was so distracted when you said you were 47 because I thought you were like 36. So <laughs> you 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 don't look that old. So I would highly suggest you don't say that in sermons when you're guest speaking because everyone will get knocked off the train. They'll be like, this guy looks too good to be 47. <laughs> then five minutes later, you'll be like, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll be like, okay, but it, how old is he for real? Um, <laughs> is he lying? <laughs> thank you for sharing what you just shared. I did not know some of that. Yeah, I think People are afraid of meditation because it's an Eastern thing in their mind. It's not. The the word meditation is used over 20 times in the Psalms, and the Psalms were written between 1400 and 400 BC. And meditation in Eastern religions is choosing to empty your mind. And that is, I don't know, I suppose it could be a good practice if your therapist who is wise thinks it's a good practice, but that's not what biblical meditation is. It's not the same thing. It's just, a, it's just a word that is used. It really means to remember and to go over something with your mind. And so like the first thing with biblical meditation for sure, thanks for asking, is to recognize that we all meditate. We all have information that we choose to repeatedly go over, all of us. And most of us just choose to go over the mean email that we got or a text that bothered us. And that is what meditation is. You are repeating information in your mind on purpose in order to think about and process what it is. And so instead of meditating on those things, meditating on the Word of God is extremely powerful and very difficult because it requires a functional change in the way that we view life. And I have found that instead of not 
trying not to meditate on worry and to meditate on something different, I take the things that worry me and choose to meditate on truth in the midst of them. And it is incredibly powerful. And so just like super logistically, if someone's interested, I would just check out like Psalm 77 or Psalm 119 or Psalm 130. Those are big meditation Psalms, but you can really use any of them. But I just pick a piece of content that's meaningful to me. It's part of my Bible reading practice. And usually I listen to the Bible while I'm like in the sauna at the gym, or I read it in the morning and I'm looking for a big truth about God to chew on, like mm. like gum, like cosmic galactic gum. <laughs> and I want to savor what it is. And so it can be really any, but like a big one for me for a long time was from Psalm. I can't remember what Psalm it's from, but it is, you are good and you do good. Mm. And it seemed so simple. And the more I chewed on it, which logistically literally just means I sit there and I repeat it in my mind and I think about it and I ask God to be with me and to help me. And it seems very weird to us until we recognize that we do do that in a negative way. And with that specific Psalm, I just started noticing, wow, like there is a presence aspect to that. God is good. And then there is like a performative aspect to that. And both of those are so powerful together. It isn't just that he's a good being, and it isn't just that he does good things, Mm -hmm. and it isn't that he is a good being and usually does good things. It's that he's exclusively Mm -hmm. a good being and exclusively does good things. And those insights just came as a blessing from the Holy Spirit over meditating on that. And then Mm -hmm. I find it comes out in prayer all the time. I'll just be praying with people in my congregation and they'll say something difficult and I'll just be like, wow, like, God, we believe what you said. You are good and you do good. And so we are asking you to be who you are and do what you do in this situation. And that's just a blessing. Otherwise, I would have just gone past it and been like, oh, that's cool. I already know that. I already know that information. And Mm -hmm. I resonate with what you were saying about legalism because kind of the Christian school I went to as a kid was always like, you know, it isn't real unless you read the Bible at 5 a.m. for an hour. And I'm not a morning person. Like, I, that's just Mm -hmm. not me. I would never wake up unless I had to. I would just keep laying in bed and then I would kind of roll into the day. And so I kind of felt really bad for a long time. And then I was making myself give the part of my day where I had like the least brain power (laughs) and it just wasn't a good fit. And for other people, I think it is. I I, I really resonate with what you said. And I think that like all legalism, all legalism things start with something good. And so when we just kind of chop it back to the good part, the good part is like, I read the Bible every day because I like it and it matters to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've gone on that kind of that same battle of like, do I force myself to become a morning person? Do I force myself to to do the same uh, spiritual disciplines that I see? You know, I'm reading a book with my kids right now, mm-hmm. just a short little book from George Mueller, The Answers to Prayer from his narratives. Mm-hmm. And I see how much he prayed and how he never asked for anything that he needed for his orphanages that he was building yeah. in, in the UK at the time. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do it like that? 
Like, no, like that's, you start to chase the wrong thing. Like what I need to learn from him is just his dependence on God and his passion for prayer. And then figure out how I incorporate that into my own life. But one of the things when you're talking about meditation, there's a scripture, a Psalm that I pretty much prayed every day all of last year as I stepped into this new journey away from staff on elevation which I think it's Psalm 62, but it, the the main line that I kept coming back to is my victory and honor come from the Lord. Yeah, wow. And how I have noticed a tendency in my heart to try to find my honor in what I'm attached to or the thing that I'm a part of and think that if I'm not a part of that, then God can't use me. That's the insecurity that I have. And so I had to meditate on that Psalm all year to be like, no, the, the Lord is who I depend on my victory and honor come from him. And I found that as I did that, even on the hard days, that became more and more anchored into my heart and into my soul. And so I just, I love the power of just, I think I prayed Psalm 62 every day last year, like I said. And some days I felt something awesome when I prayed it. And a lot of days I didn't, I didn't feel anything special at all. But over time that got into my heart and my soul. Yeah. Did you find a a deepening, understanding of it as you stayed in it? I did. I I found a deepening understanding of it, but I also found an awareness of my soul and my proclivities and my insecurities that I kept just peeling back the layers on Yeah, and and realizing what was at the root of some of my people-pleasing tendencies and what was at the root of why certain things upset me or why I get offended at things. And I realized that I was chasing my significance in all the wrong places, which, like I said, I feel like I should be passed by this point in my life. But (laughs) if anything, I'm more aware of it now, I feel like, than I ever have been. Yeah. The other thing that went hand in hand with that was Galatians 1.10. Am I still trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? That And so those were kind of the bookends, I guess, of kind of my meditation in this last year. Yeah. So talk about, because you mentioned your your practice of listening to the Bible and and the sauna, what is your prayer practice on a regular basis? I know it's not the same every day, but in general, do you pray for an hour? Do you pray for 30 minutes? What does it look like for you? Yeah, I spend various times in prayer each day. So I spend time in prayer with my wife in the morning. And during the season of Lent, we're also praying together in the evening. I spend time in prayer with my children before bed. And I use it to teach them theology through repeating phrases that I pray for them each day. And I pray with my kids each day before I send them to school. And I use it to teach them Bible verses because I pray Bible verses over them. And once they've heard me pray them a couple hundred times, they'll never forget them. And that will be a gift um, that I can give them. I walk around my church and pray, not like super Pentecostal, like I'm praying for like the walls to come down. (laughs) Uh I have visual cues that I choose to pray for when I see the cross at my church, when I drive in, I pray, I have a burden on my heart for people to uh, be freed from anxiety and the presence of God. And so I pray that the campus would be like David's harp over people with anxiety and that Mm. when they come on the campus, they would be freed from that anxiety and they would know that that's from God. And I pray in the spirit every day at some point. So I practice 
praying in the spirit each day. So I received a gifting to have a unique language of prayer with God. And I pray in that and I don't understand it, but I understand that it builds me up like Paul said. And I understand that when people try to reduce it to praying only for, when they try to reduce it to exclusively a move of God across languages and acts, that that isn't the full representation of the way the Bible talks about it. Because Paul talks about praying in the spirit as a building up of himself and that has value. And so I, I don't really understand it. I just see it like that. I pray to be filled with the spirit each day. And I usually am cued to pray for that when I feel like I don't have it in me to do something. Often for me in the season I'm in with the age of my children, it's parenting. And so mm -hmm. I'll feel myself getting irritated or bothered and I don't want to react out of that. And so I pray to be filled with the Spirit and I have an expectation of an actual transfer taking place. And I have an expectation of like a physical manifestation of that often, which I know bothers a certain type of Christian, but I believe in that. Mm -hmm. And I also believe in weekly or monthly placing my hands on the shoulders of men mostly that I believe in and uh, imparting things to them spiritually that God has imparted to me. Again, I don't understand it. I just know that it's biblical and I know that there is an exchange of grace and faith that certainly can come in any way God desires. And he's chosen to say in his word, it comes through that. And then I would say that I also practice praying before a difficult conversation. And I have found through my research into the spiritual realm of just reading different spiritual warfare books, I have found that I don't understand it but when you choose to bind evil spiritual forces before you go into a difficult conversation, the conversations often go better. And so I would say like once a month, I'm due for, you know, like a frustrating conversation mm -hmm. with a staff person or a person in the church that's upset with me because I made too many memes about Baptists in my sermon or something. And that's <laughs> totally fine. And so I have found that. And so I, through all of those different practices. And then I would say monthly, I go somewhere and pray. So there's a Greek Orthodox monastery in Florence, which is like an hour away from where I live. And so I'm going there on March 9th with any of the staff people that want to go. And we're just going to pray for a day. And I also use it as a chance to teach the people in the on the staff about prayer and how to structure a day of prayer. I love that. And we have permission to to have any staff person do that um, on a monthly basis, which is absolutely generous of the church and the other leader mm -hmm. of the church who leads alongside me. I hope that it didn't sound like I, no one's ever asked me that question before. So I didn't exactly know how to answer it. I hope it didn't sound like I was just layering up all the different things that I do. I don't really see it like that. I don't see myself as a person who prays enough the biblical command is to pray at all times, in all mm -hmm. ways, at all times, in the spirit. And so I, I hope it didn't sound like that. I really just love God and I love being with God and I view my life. I just, my whole life is with God and that's not because of anything mm -hmm. I'm doing. I believe that's what God wants for everyone. And I believe God desires yeah. that. 
And I want to live my life with God because all of the things I've done on my own are such a failure or a success in the worst possible way, which is a success without God. And so those are just things that came to mind when you said that. No, I think it was really helpful too, because it wasn't like, oh, I've got to pray this way, then this way, then this way. It didn't feel overwhelming from that respect. It more felt like if I was trying to describe all the different conversations I have with my kids in a day. Yeah, totally. I, I purposefully try every morning to eat breakfast with them and have that intentional time. And I try yeah. to always, as, as many dinners as we can, we have that intentional time. But then throughout the day, because they're homeschooled and I see them, like they might run in here and tell me something. I might go up there and ask to play a video game with them. Totally, It could be an, an emotional conversation, but it's because we're in that close proximity. Yeah. And so what it sounded like to me is, You've got some intentional time that you set aside and that you structure your life around. But then you also have prompts that just, whether they're prompts in your spirit or prompts of something you see that turn your heart towards prayer mm-hmm. into all different types of prayer. So to me, it shows like a nuanced, real, authentic relationship, not a lot of overwhelming demands. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that the kids illustration is really good. I also have a practice of confession, which I think is really important for Christians because mm-hmm. many Christians are accidentally anti-sacramental, which means that they've been taught to be suspicious of communion and confession because of some of the Catholic uh, uh, Catholic practices. And confession is very important. And I have found that living without confession gives the enemy ground or space in my life that I do not want him or his demons to have. And so just like a super simple example would be sometimes I would get angry and like curse while I'm driving and I would just accept that that is acceptable. I know that I shouldn't do it. I'm not like flicking people off like I did when I was 18. So I'm like, okay, I'm fine but I'll just like say the F word when I'm angry, when my kids aren't with me, when I'm driving. And I just started to feel like, no, each time you make that mistake, you need to have an actual moment of confession where you say, the Bible teaches me to only speak things that are fitting of saints. And just because I don't want to be legalistic doesn't mean once a month I can say the F word while I'm driving. I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to confess to you now, God, and I'm going to ask you, I learned this amazing prayer from a book, which was confess, cancel, command, commit. And it's a spiritual warfare prayer that I learned from a friend of mine named Carl Payne in Washington. And you confess your sin to God. You ask God to cancel any ground that was given to the enemy, which is the word tapas in the New Testament, which is for hold. Hmm. Then you command the enemy to leave that space. Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold on me. He has no place. And I don't think any Bible-believing Christian could say, oh, I'm equivalent to Jesus. The devil has no hold or space on me of any kind. I don't believe that. And so I confess, um, I, I ask God to cancel, I command, and then I commit, I realign myself. And I have to do this all the time because I'm a sinner and I wish I didn't, but I do. And so that's a place in my life that I've had to do that. And then I commit, God, I'm going to live your way. I pray that your spirit would empower me to live in this way. 
And so maybe that will help someone out there. That's another prayer practice that came to mind. Yeah, I do think confession is is one of those things that we don't like to talk about mm-hmm. and we don't, especially public confession. Mm-hmm. So when does, since you brought it up, when does it cross over the need from, okay, I'm confessing this privately between me and the Lord. And when does it is it helpful to step into, you know, where it says confess your sins to others so you may be healed? When is it proper to bring someone else into that prayer corporately with you so you can confess to them? Totally. Yeah. If your confession doesn't lead to change over time, depending on the sin, people struggle with anger and internal lust for their whole life. But the external forms of those things should not be prevalent long-term in Christians. And so if you like scream at your kids, you shouldn't do that. That shouldn't happen if you like lose it on your wife or or if you're a woman, if you lose it on your husband or your coworkers, that shouldn't happen. And so if your confession doesn't lead to change, then it's not true confession because we've been mm-hmm. taught, well, just say it's wrong. Well, great. If you say pornography is wrong, but you still watch it once a week, you don't think that it's wrong. <laughs> right. You don't think that. That's not true. So then you really have to take a step back and say, God, I need you to I don't believe this and I need your help. And then that's when I would bring in another Christian who doesn't struggle with the same thing and ask them, especially if they used to, because then they'll have a lot of grace with you. So mm-hmm. if that's the, the struggle, if it's a pornographic struggle, then God be with you and God bless you and confess that to a brother or a person of the same gender. And I believe that there is healing in the honesty of that in a non-shame filled environment, but with guilt because guilt is good. People are like, oh, I, guilt is bad. No, guilt is good. It is good to feel guilty over sin. Mm. And it's good to feel shame over sin until you confess it. Then you receive the cleansing power of Jesus from the gospel. And so, yes, I think if it's a, to answer your question, I think if it's a long-term struggle, I do think bringing people in is significant. And I love that verse because it promises healing. Now, going along, you know, that that same... I guess, theme of praying for something for a while that doesn't seem like it's changing. And we were just talking about confession there, but sometimes we feel like we're not changing and we're praying and we're asking God, please take this anxiety away, take this fear away, take this struggle away. Sometimes we're praying over an extended period of time, Lord, I I want you to do this. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you're not answering my prayer. I want you to heal. You know, we pray for my daughter's healing from cystic fibrosis. And we've seen the Lord do miracles. But one thing I've learned in her journey and in my twins who also have their own health journeys is that slow miracles are still miracles. We are praying yeah. for the dramatic miracle, but we've seen we've seen a slow miracle. But wow. it still gets discouraging sometimes to keep praying for something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And I heard you do a teaching at your church about this and you know, we'll start to land the plane here, but what would you say to somebody who feels weary in prayer? They feel discouraged at prayer. Yeah. So hard. I'm with you. I've prayed for different things for a long period of time. Don't give up. Take courage is a thing that is said six times in the New Testament. And all of them except one are from Jesus Christ. Take courage. Look at the heroes of faith and how long they waited for things and how weary it must have been for Abraham to wait a quarter of a century for the son God promised or for Joseph to wait in prison for a crime he did not commit. Take courage, brother or sister, and continue to pray. 
And I believe that the outcome of long-term prayer is that God will change his mind or he will change yours. And I know that people have a theological problem with that, but it's it's biblical and it's in the Bible. It's in the story of Abraham. It's in Amos. It's, it's in there a lot of times. And I believe that God, often people leave on the table, God changing them, bring it before the Lord with surrender. Jesus said, let this cup depart from me. And then at the end, he said, this is the cup the Father has given to me. Will I not drink it? And Jesus allowed prayer to change at least the words he was saying. And I hope that that would encourage someone today. Please don't give up. I'd actually love for you to just, you know, to take a moment right now, if you're comfortable, to pray for those who are actually discouraged Yes. about something in their life that they've been praying just yes. maybe for months for, maybe for years for. Oh, I would love to. I would love to. Lord, we come before you now and we're asking you to fill us with faith as we join together as two brothers who've never met in person, but we are united by the gospel of Christ. And we have a God-given pastoral authority that we don't take pride in, but we take joy in. And we pray that any gift of grace or measure of grace that you've given to us, you would pass to any saint who is listening right now, who's been struggling in prayer. I pray that they would take courage. I pray that you would teach their heart how to lean in and take courage directly from you, that you are good, that you do good, that you see them, that you see their situation, that if they couldn't handle it with you, you would not have given it to them, that maybe you did give it to them because they couldn't handle it alone. But if they could not get through it with you, you would not have given it to them. I, l- I pray that they would take courage in that. I pray that you would bless them with joy, patience, and belief that you are working all things together for good, that they can, by faith, say, I believe that this thing is good. I might not like it. I don't have to be a masochist. I don't have to enjoy it. I don't have to wish for it. But I can believe that it's bringing about good because we believe what you've said and we believe there is power in stating by faith that we believe what you have said. And so I just pray for a little answer for them. And it may be something as small as an encouraging text or an encouraging hug or embrace from someone, or it may be as big as the answer they've been praying for. I pray that you would bless them today with the measure of faith that they need to continue on in this journey and to see that in heaven, these things will seem small and you will seem big, as big as they seem now. And so we entrust them to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Landon. This has been awesome. It's really been an encouragement to me just to hear your thoughts on just your love for the Bible, your love for the Lord and for prayer. And so... It's, it's meant a lot to me, so thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you for all you do to encourage people online. I appreciate it, and thanks to anyone who listened. I hope you are blessed by that episode. I hope you're encouraged to just commit yourself afresh to prioritizing your life around prayer, around God's Word. And I truly believe that when we place that at the center of our life as a way to worship God, to know God, to trust God, that we will be changed, that we will be transformed. So don't give up, don't grow weary, don't lose hope. And I'm gonna pray for you this week that this message takes root in your heart and encourages your faith. I'll see you back here next week for Dreamers and Disciples. Mm